Hello and welcome back to this episode of Wind Your Neckin. I'm your host, Niall Annett, and this episode, it's a pleasure for me to welcome my friend and teammate, Francois Hogarth, to the show. Apologies for having been away for a couple of weeks. I was uh, investing some of my energy into a side project, Sangers, which has uh, recently opened a sandwich and deli shop in the Archers at Worcester, which Francois and I will get into. He says he's not touching any of the sandwiches. He only wants the salads. Um, that's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> no, we're going to get you. We'll get you down eventually, but we'll we'll have a chat about that later. Thank you for uh, the time, Frana. I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. Um, how are you keeping? I'm all good. No, it's it's a uh, it's a massive uh, honor for me to be on your on your show and uh yeah i'm looking forward to the chat i'm all good uh just played a, a game of golf i won't say how that went but uh <laughs> it was fun regardless just say you were attacking pins that's all you, all people need to know <laughs> Um, Frana, yeah. you're a bit of a, a podcaster yourself um for the people for the hundreds of thousands of people who tune into wind your neck in um, do you want to give an idea to the people out there who about your podcast, the whole kind of basis for it? Because I've listened into a couple of them and they're really, really good, really good setup, yeah. like really smart and, and and very slickly done. Oh, so the the main thing about it's for me, it's not really focused on being a podcast. For us, it's more to create awareness for the brand that we are launching, which is Tal Athletics, which is the athleisure brand. Um, yeah, so that's basically just. Kind of getting people on board who's been who's had a massive impact in you know basically Africa, um, whether it's African legends in football or uh, whether it was rugby or culture, any cultural, um, yeah, it had an, a, a big impact in 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 the African culture. Um, so to create you know awareness for the brand before we launch and and yeah a bit of like an informal conversation and yeah, what those like, you know, with Brian Abena, um, for me, it was more about keeping quiet and hearing his story. You know, he's, Mm. he's, I'm sure you are still going to have a chat to him or or a conversation, but he's, he's brilliant. He's an unbelievable guy. So, so things like that, just an informal chat, hear more about their stories and, you know, kind of their life experiences and, and all of that. Well, we have the pleasure today of hearing all about your life experiences and your stories, and we're going to put oh. a, few, a few questions uh, to you. Which, I, and, and to be honest, Fran, like the the perception out there could be that you are like you know you're a huge social media following. You're um, you're very into your cars, and uh, you work hard for your cars, and you've got your your into your clothes and the clothing brand. Some of the stuff that like it's way too cool for me to put on. But the actual reality of having known you for what is it? five years now is that you're quite shy you're quite a shy person i would say you know and would you agree with that yeah, or is that yeah. unfair yeah definitely i think a lot of things with a cause first of all um you know you get branded as being you know show off or for me cars have always been my biggest you know it's the biggest passion like i absolutely love cars that's it's always a biggest passion for me it's like um, a vice eh? it's like if everybody has a vice and your vice is that you like to treat yourself with yeah cars. yeah and the same with fashion and i guess the finer things and it's not to show off for me it, you know i it gives me a bit of a adrenaline rush whether um you know i drive a nice car because i love cars it's not to show other people that i i'm yeah. in no way whatsoever better than anyone else that's that's the bottom line i don't think that i'm better than anyone else and i know i'm not and i'm just trying to live my life to the fullest and and enjoy every moment because i know life is short and yeah and uh why not enjoy it you know absolutely absolutely but i think the interesting thing for me is um you're in some ways quite introverted and quite shy but having got to know you over the years that you've got you 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 work you work fucking hard man like you you graph for for everything that you get and i think um if we flip to that initial conversation that we had about your podcast i think it's an interesting place for us to start because you bring on people from Africa and you describe the brand that, right. So you, as a South African, as an Afrikaner, like let's, let's touch on your early days. Let's touch mm. on the beginning of, um, you know, 
was rugby just something that you were desperate to do from a young age? Was it some? I know you went to, um, you know, a pretty prestigious uh, rugby playing school, which, uh, you know, many, many people have gone through in Paul Roos Gymnasium. I'm pretty sure people say Paul Roos Gym, but I'm obviously... Gymnasium, cool. yeah. yeah it's, it. it's The full name is Gymnasium, <laughs> and I'm not going to do a disservice before I get the Paul Roos people coming and no. call me out. Um, no, so, no, no, that's perfect. Your journey as a young man through, through South Africa as an Afrikaner was rugby always the dream? Yeah, I mean, you know, at school level, you know, when people ask me what's the advice you can give them, what, you know, for, for youngsters and kids and stuff, I, I would have always just said, just have fun, enjoy what you do. Because at school level and, and just after school, you don't have the pressure of media and you know, playing in front of thousands of people, or if you play for South Africa, let's say, you don't have you know, how many, many millions of people watching you and that that pressure to perform week in, week out as we do in, in, in Prem, you know, some in, in some sort of way. So, yeah, you know, growing up, it was more about having fun. And, you know, you in school, you don't really know. You obviously don't know that it's going to become a career, but it was something that I grew up with from, I think, under nine, under eight. You know, um, my dad was also a really good rugby player and and he kind of like groomed me into it. And, you know, I love my dad so much for the fact that he never pushed me and, and pressured me into anything. He was always supportive of me. Yeah. Um, he wasn't one of the parents who stood on the touchline and screamed at me. He was always just, and and still, you know, I'm, I'm quite sad because the thing is my dad and him, hard, he, he never, the last time most probably that he saw me live was, I think playing for the Springboks or so. So hmm. it's it's quite tough not having your parents there as a as a support system. But my dad's always been there, you know, as as a very good support system. And and my mom and my whole family, you know, and it's yeah. it's obviously tough not having them around. But from a very young age, I grew up with rugby, and and um, I think the first year after school, I went to a Western Province academy after um, after Paul Ruiz, and yeah. Um, only then you start realize, like you know, then you start realizing that you know this can become, you know, a, a career and you can become a professional. For me, that the the, the the weird thing is, I've never been a student. I've never had the student life, you know, that everyone talks about. And I, I went straight into the Western Province Academy and I played under nineteen, under twenty one, and senior curry cup. Yeah, uh, I mean, 2007, and literally that year after that, I signed for the Bulls. Yeah, um, so 2007, and, and, you made you made three caps for the Western Province, and then moved to the Bulls. But that at a quite a very a quite a young age too. Yeah, yeah. So end of 2007, I went to the Bulls, and you know, from there on, that's basically where my career kind of took off. But I also, I I was one of I never played. Uh, a competition in South Africa, like provincial level, which is called Craven Week. Yeah, I never got a chance to. I missed out on all of that. And through I injury actually, or life runner, I don't know. I I don't know if whether it was politics or I don't know. I just didn't. I I didn't make it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's just something. It's weird because I got a opportunity to go to the trials for, to play for, you know, to get into SA under 90, which is like junior world cup. And I actually had a very, very good, very good trial. And I managed to get into, you know, the, the junior world cup, which was in Belfast. Belfast. Yeah. Cause I, I was hoping to get to this and I'm so glad you brought it up because it saves me from sounding like complete gnaws. Right. But I remember, so the other uh, good friend of ours who was there with you was GJ. Jan van Velzer. And GJ and you, I remember standing in Ravenhill as it was watching you guys playing. Um, it was New Zealand in that final, wasn't it? Yeah, they absolutely demolished <laughs> they, us. They tanked you and they had like that oh, guy, Robbie, Robbie, Robbie Froon at 13. And he oh. was like, I can't oh. get how big he was. But but that was like inadvertently, I was stood and I obviously only a couple of years younger, only a fraction of a couple of years younger, right? But I was like 15 or 16 and I had a hunger to be a professional rugby player. Um and I remember seeing you guys, and it's a crazy small world that we end up teammates all these years later. But that experience it was a was a stepping stone for you to go on to to prove yourself having missed out in Craven Week. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent And I think if I didn't you always say that if you didn't have that one opportunity, just 
you only need one chance. And that's what it took to get me, well, I won't say get me where I am, but if I didn't have that opportunity, I would have never been able to go to SN9 to win the World Junior World Cup and then, and, and you know, things after that. But that was a very, very, um, that was an amazing World Cup. I mean, I, was, I can remember it like it was yesterday. We played so well against Australia and we were so pumped for the final and we got absolutely demolished. <laughs> that New Zealand team was oh, unbelievable. But yeah, like you said, that was, um, yeah, it was a special memory, you know? Yeah, so good. I loved hearing about that all these all those years later when I was like, yeah, you, GJ, were talking about it. And I was like, hold on a second. Was that in Belfast? And then we talk. And I, I Ravenhill. Yeah, Ravenhill, which is now the king span, as people know it. But let's let's just quickly touch on something that I'm desperate to, to, to chat to you about because it's something we've never actually talked about. And mm. it's um, your experience in school through South African rugby, okay? So this Paul Roos gym, is a, it's a renowned rugby playing school. Mm. Like when you look back to... Um, your experience there. Obviously, we've had a multitude of South African, in particular, um, sports stars, so like AB and um, yeah. etc. And we've talked about the Afi's experience for you, like Paul Roos. Did it did it mold you into the person? Like, obviously, I think you have like a want and a desire in you naturally, and we'll get to we we'll, we'll discuss how much of a hard worker you are, right? But did Paul Roos help like mold you into? the kind of some of the habits that you take forward today or, or, or what yeah, def- influence you? Definitely. I think, especially on a, you know, on, on a discipline front, I think um, that's one thing where it's not only through, you know, whether it comes to rugby or my diet, I think the discipline that I got taught or, or, you know, that I took from school, from a school level, um, I, I, I think I've applied that throughout my whole life, my personal life and, um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist in in a, I'm trying to say it in a nice way, whether it get, yeah. you know it applies to my house or um, always trying to be neat and doing things you know the best possible way because at the end of the day, I'm just cheating myself, no one else. Um, so I guess you know going to such a proud school and and you know, can you believe I was captain at a certain stage? Well, my trick yeah. Um, I didn't, and you would vouch for that. I don't really like to speak in front of people or stand up in a room and, and speak. And, and that's one thing, obviously with being captain, you have to make all these speeches and all these things. And I think at that stage, I discovered that I like to rather lead through action rather than speaking. And I just kind of said, you know what, um, I love playing and I love express, expressing myself on the field, but talking, which you are really good at, and it's talking, not talking crap. No, 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 no. You are obviously a, a very good speaker, and, and um, you you talk really well in front of people, and and it's obviously not not really my thing. But yeah, it's Paulus is is obviously taught taught me a lot, and uh, I, I will be forever thankful for that. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because you do get a sense of people, particularly the people we speak to, that um, you know their uh, behaviours, attitudes are sculpted from a very young age. And I believe that with the school I went to, it's a big mm. rugby playing school in Belfast, and a lot of the stuff that I still lean on, um, I, I I learned at a very early age. And it sounds like you had a similar experience. And I think maybe all high performing people have experiences throughout their lives that they mm. lean on. But so we talk about the the move through the ranks was a fast one and the experience at Western province, which gives you this, this opportunity to then move to the blue bulls uh, and the bulls, which is two separate entities for people who don't know, but they're effectively the same team. One just plays in the yeah. Curry cup and one plays in super rugby. Super, now, yeah. You went on to have an incredible career like for, for the bulls. And I think it was 134 caps. Now you can correct me if I'm wrong and I'll owe you a sandwich if it is, but I'm pretty sure it was roughly 134 four caps, right? Which is an amazing it yeah. is there. Um, when you get there as a youngster, you've got people around you. It's it's an amazing team, that Bulls team with guys like Victor and et cetera, oh. and Spees and whatever, okay? But Farid Dupree is there and he's well-renowned as a hugely, um, a, a scrum half with huge ability and one of the best to ever play the game. 
when you get yeah. there, are you thinking I'm chomping at his heels? I want to play, um, but yeah. also respecting his ability and trying to soak as much off him as you can. So could you mention that? So before I signed, I, I obviously had a choice to, you know, sign at, at the Stormers or Western Province or to yeah. go to the Bulls. And and people say to me, I'm crazy to to even, you know, think of signing at the Bulls because I'm going to sit in, because Heine Adams was also, you know, at the top of his game. Yes. He was a great player. He was playing, um, you know, just behind Fourie. And people said, you're crazy you're just going to sit in the queue. You're never going to be able to play. And I, I kind of looked at it from a different angle. I said, well, you know, I'm really young. I'm a youngster. I'm up and coming. I'm willing to learn as much as I can. And I, I wanted to kind of be a sponge in that environment and try and soak up as much as I can and learn from, you know, from the best. And for me, and, and obviously Heine was, was really, really good at that stage. And why not take, take, you know, some of them and and what they brought to the table on board and and try and bring that apply that to my game and i i don't think i've ever met an individual that has a more um intelligent rugby brain than furry i think he's just doesn't like the gym doesn't <laughs> like the contact none of that but he is a brilliant brilliant rugby player like he 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 just knows the game he knows um, and I think he's still involved with the, with the Bulls as, as a consultant or, or whatever. But, yeah, I learned so much. And the thing is, when I got there, I obviously didn't play nine. Well, I, I, you know, I, I played some games. And my first game was a super rugby game, was against the Waratahs. And yeah. Heine Adams, I sat on the bench because Free was at the Springboks. And Heine Adams got an injury in the first five minutes. And it, as a youngster, I it was... A big thing for me because you play in front of 50, 60,000 people. And um, that's how I made my kind of my, my debut for, for the Bulls. And it's funny how things work out. So I could obviously not play nine. So I moved to the wing. I, I kind of tried it out. And that's basically where my career really started. As And I had so much fun, you know, playing wing. And not only that, also playing with Fury because... I don't know why we just played really well together. We just, mm. it felt like I kind of understood the way he plays and we kind of fed off each other. And uh, yeah, it was, it, yeah, some really, really special memories, you know, from the Bulls days. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you touch on how well you two actually played together. There was the try in the Korea Cup final where you won 36-24 against the Free State Cheetahs, where it was a crossfield kick from Furry Dupree. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were the youngest player in that entire starting lineup um, playing on the right wing. So like you both had this like, not telepathic because that's, it's probably too much, yeah, but you yeah. had an ability to kind of just play with each other. Um, when you talk about your ability to chop and change between nine and, and winger, I think when you bring it up, it's an important time for us to just jump into it. Like, do you, you have, I think you probably prefer playing nine because you're on the, you're in the game more, you're, you get more touches, you have more of an influence on whether the game, um, on how the game's yeah. dictated. But having the ability to chop and change between both was a positive and a negative, really, for you, wasn't yeah, it? Because yeah. if we get to because this, you can't so, be brilliant at both, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you can be brilliant at one and very good, but it's hard to be brilliant at both. I agree. And I think when you ended up with South Africa, which um, you made your debut against Italy, um, and I think, you know, you kind of, I would love to see a, a split between the games that you played at Scrum Half and the split between the games that you played at, on the wing. It would probably be half and half, do you reckon? Mm. The thing is, it's I've got a soft spot for wing because... Um, yeah, you love beating people like, with the ball. That's why <laughs> I, I love the excitement of it. And when I used to play play wing, when you beat people, you get a lot of confidence from it because mm. you do that on a regular kind of when you break the line or when someone breaks a line and you you have a defender one on one. You've always I had the confidence that I would beat the guy every single time. Whereas not on 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 scrum off you make a break on the 15th phase, you are so tired and you don't really, <laughs> you don't really get to that stage where you beat people. So it's like you yeah. doubt yourself in, in, a, in a certain way. So I, I genuinely loved, you know, and sometimes training at, you know, at the Warriors, sometimes I'm out on the wing and it's, it brings a bit of excitement. It's something different. You can look for work. 
Whereas nine is obviously a lot more technical. Um, you can do a lot more wrong at nine. Um, but yeah, I, I, I still love, you know, wing. It's, it's, it's a brilliant position. And, and, uh, like I said, my career kind of took off when I played wing, I, I played, a, you know, I think I played against the All Blacks in P against Jose Gear when he was at his, mm. his prime. Frank. Um, yeah. And it's, it's special memories because I, I think I was, I was I'm not I will never say that I was a good player or something like that because I don't I would never see myself as that but I I had fun and I think when you have fun you automatically do well at it and I had a lot of fun you know at that stage so yeah so we touch on that time with the Bulls um in both formats let's talk about Loftus because what an incredible place that must be to play oh, rugby man. talk talk me through running out in a packed like a like a fully packed at the brim Loftus Oh, you know, I, I always ex- d- describe something like you, if someone asks you what skydiving is like, you will, the thing is you can only say, oh, you have to do it yourself to experience it. Mm. You have to physically jog out. It's the same as playing for the Springboks at Ellis Park. Yeah. Jog, you know, running out at, at, at a packed loft is, it's incredible. It's goosebumps. It's not only that. It's the journey leading up to getting to the stadium. The the, you know, those days, the thousands and thousands of fans that was having a braai, you know, next to you know all the so way good. up to the leading up to the um, to the stadium, you know, with the flags and and everyone cheering you up, you know, cheering you on. It's it's you would literally on the way to the game. It, almost made you want to tear up because it's like these people are all here to support you and to kind of, you know, cheer you on for the game that's happening, what, in an hour and a half or whatever's time. Um, I remember, you know, the days where a day before the game, people would camp outside Loftus to get tickets for like a semifinal. It's crazy to think it because it doesn't happen anymore. You know, no. it's it gives me goosebumps to think about it. And if you mm. think about people camping outside waiting to get tickets, yeah, and you know special. it's going to be sixty thousand people, it's you know it's it's uh, it's special. You know, it's it's uh, it's really really special. Yeah, what an amazing thing to and you, and you know you do touch on the guys who I've who I've got to know really well through my time at the Warriors, particularly the, uh, the South Africans, because the the Ulster guys I knew were more Sharks guys. Don't hold it against them, but you know Ruan oh, no, no. and Johan, Johan Muller and Pedri Vandenberg. But the Bulls guys I've got to know, like yourself and GJ and Vinand, mm. like there's something about Loftus that just like it's at altitude. The crowd's oh, mental. Your lungs are. You hear about people going there, and their lungs are like teams who come to play the away teams, their lungs are burning after 10 to 15 Ooh. minutes. And this it's humongous, a rough, it's a rough yeah, place that it's a front rower's <laughs> idea of hell. I can imagine, oh, but yes. you hear, and then these, these enormous, like this enormous pack that the bulls always seems to produce. And then these dynamic wingers and, and centers like Vinand and, and uh, yourself. So it, it has this real, like special vibe about it. And I think, yeah, you, you must feel very special that you must feel very grateful that you were able to be part of it. So, so grateful, you know. I'm I'm grateful for all those years. You know, the games that we most look forward to is we always used to die doing fitness. And it was, what, 31, 32 degrees, 34 sometimes. The games that we <laughs> most look forward to was on a Saturday at 1 o'clock playing against whether it's a New Zealand, Australia, or, a, you know, a team from the coast because we knew that we're going to get tired, but – it's going to be hell for them. And some other time, we're going to get a second win and they're going to run out of it. And it's going to be hell. And uh, can yeah, you imagine? To, can, oh. hey, can, can you imagine this Irish Irish man in the middle of this at uh, one o'clock? I think, I think that would have been your idea of hell, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, in saying that, I think you would have you would have loved that. I think it's it's um, I think it's every rugby player's dream. It's yes. it's 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 got such a special place in, in, in my heart. And I would, I, I wish that you could experience it because it's, it's something that I would want every rugby player to, to experience, you know? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I was until COVID came along, I was planning on heading out for a couple of the British and Irish Lions games that were going to be played at mm. Loftus. I think GJ had sorted a few tickets for the test and there was a midweek against the Bulls. And I, I was so looking forward to going and actually being able to soak in what that has, what what the experience of that is. But mm. hey, I will go eventually. We'll get out there and we'll go for a nice braai and a couple of beers. I think 100%. When we move sideways from that time, I think the 2009 break-in period to the Springbok team is probably an, is an apt time for us to touch on that because your debut against Italy, you know, <laughs> like a hugely decorated South African career. When you when you look from that debut in 2009 to the last time you played, like how do you reflect on the career in general? Just leading up to that, I actually played against the British and uh, British and Irish Lions in one of the midweek teams for Solly. Solly was coaching the team, and did, I did you play in that Kings team? Yes. No way. How did I miss that? My bloody research. So, so so. Yes, so, I actually I actually played yeah for Solly, and then obviously at the end of the year tour, um, I made my debut in Italy. Uh, uh, yeah, for the Springboks and. Um, you know, where do you start? I think it's, it's, you obviously play rugby, you know, as a, as a kid or as a teenager to represent your country or to represent, you want to play at the highest level. And I've been fortunate enough to, to, like you have said, to have had a, an amazing career. And, and to this day, I wouldn't never, I would never say that, oh, you know, I am, I want to be in this team or I'm I'm going to be in this team because I've played for the Springboks and I think that I've achieved something or something like that. But, you know, things like, you know, scoring a try for the Springboks um, against Wales in the World Cup, but, you know, in 2011 or, um, you know, that, that IRB try of the uh, 2013 Four, against the All Blacks. 14, yeah. That is most probably one of the most, uh, along with the Super Rugby try against the Stormers. It's it's not not that I mentioned for me scoring a try. It's just that those days and those, the moments leading up to it is, it's something that, like I say, you can't describe, but it it will kind of stay with you forever. And and I think that's what, um, if I can sum up my rugby career, that that's what it was all about. You know, there's obviously millions and 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 you know, well, thousands of experiences that I, you know, and a lot of special memories and, and, and experiences at the Warriors too. But obviously the, the, the Springboks um, is, yeah. is very high up. Always sits at the top. I think international rugby is everybody's dream. Um, I've always been very vocal and saying that was always always my dream. I think that mm. it's amazing you bring up that IRB World Try of the Year. I actually think it was... It was shortlisted for the try of the decade, that 2014 try against the All Blacks. And if anybody who's yeah. listening to this hasn't seen it, do yourself a favor. If you're going to the toilet, if you're having your lunch, <laughs> if you're Look. just buy, buying into YouTube, the IRB uh, try of the year 2014, because from a rugby point of view, Fran, irrelevant of whether you finish it off or not, like from a rugby point of view, it is incredible like it's just rugby at high pace players getting beaten yeah. offloads passes it's, it's amazing I, I would would say one thing you obviously touched on it i i don't want to take credit for it i like i said i was just there to run it off mm. it was the occasion it was the day it was the test it was the all blacks it's just one of those that like i said you you almost when you watch the clip, you will see what it was all about. And, and mm. I was lucky enough to look, I was absolutely broken when I finished that trial. <laughs> I can imagine. I, I basically had to run the, the whole length of the pitch. But yeah, I was I was lucky enough and, and credit to the other guys. But yeah, I was lucky enough to to run that one off. Special, special times. And and things like that, you know, the money, the uh the contracts, they all come and go, mm. but the memories is all are all you're left well, with. I think if we if we look to touch on that experience of playing New Zealand, particularly, right? I I suppose there'll be loads of people who listen to this will never be lucky enough to face a hacker. What is it like? Mm. What was it like when you recall the multiple times that you stood down the hacker? Oh, it's for me it's it's a it's goosebumps. It's for me, I see it as a massive challenge in a respectful way. It's, it's not, you know, it kind of gears you up and it, and it, uh, it kind of motivates you, you know, playing the all blacks as is, is 
obviously, you know, is massive. But mm. you know, facing the Arca and, and experiencing that is is like they throwing a cha- throwing out a challenge to you, and you are literally standing there saying that you are gonna accept this and 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 kind of take it to them. And I've been lucky enough to obviously to face Arca a few times, and um, it's incredible. You know, it's 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 like you say, it's it's very very special, and I'm very thankful that I that I've been you know that I've been fortunate to to face him. Yeah, when you're standing there and you've got someone like Jose Gear facing you, uh, you you have to just get yourself in a place where you're ready to to almost die for that jersey because these guys are physical freaks. They're psyching themselves into a game with a war dance. It's a matter of matching that mentally and physically, isn't it? 100%. You're literally ready to to die die for that jersey because um you literally have a whole country behind you and and like you know, you know South Africans are proud um it's a, a rugby rich and, and proud country you know and and they want to like every country they want to see you win and want to see you do well and and with you knowing that and and you know kind of having that backing and and that crowd and everyone behind you is massive you know and and that's a massive confidence booster so all i can do is try and you know do you know there's been so many legends before me in that jersey and I just want to try and, you know, do my time in the in, in that jersey justice. Yeah, absolutely. What a privilege. What a privilege, bro. And I think if we look to take it full circle, that South African experience is probably, we can't live in fantasy land. Let's talk about some of the lower points in your career with that, because um, to every high, there's, as you know, Frana, like mm. you had 11 months out injured at one stage. Like people can be fooled into this world where everything's breezy and brilliant. Bro, yeah. you know, 11 months of your life out injured with your ankle. Um, when you look through that period up until up to moving to the Warriors, um, what were some of the real low points for you physically, but also what were some of the low points in terms of your South African career? For me, the injury, you know, the injuries for us as rugby players, like, you know, that comes, you know, almost standard. You, you never go into a game where you think, oh, I'm scared of getting injured. When you get injured, for us, a surgery is almost like, well, well let's just get it over and done with it. <laughs> yeah. Let's start the rehab. You know what I mean? <laughs> and obviously, like you said, I think it was 2013, I had a, quite a bad ankle injury and I was out for 11 months. The thing is, when you would know, when you get these injuries, you can either sit and you're obviously negative or, or you're um, disappointed at the, at, you know, when it happens, but you can either sit there and be negative about it, or you can use it as, you know, motivation to try and get yourself as, as fuel to the fire and try and get yourself back to even better Nick and to try and prove everyone around and, and the doubters and everyone not wrong, but to try and prove everyone that you are, you know, you are good enough and that you, you'll come back stronger. Yeah. Um, disappointments. I've been, you know, we played against the All Blacks in New Zealand. We took a massive, massive hiding. I think I was one of the only overseas-based players um, at that stage in the Springbok squad. And when we came back to South Africa from tour, there was two games left, two home games left. And I got a call that, we landed, I think, the Sunday, the Monday. I got a call from the manager saying the coach wants to speak to you. And automatically, you know, when the manager phones you and says the coach wants to speak to you, mm. you know, something's coming your way. And uh, he just said, look, we're not going to um, consider you for the rest of the tour. And till this day, I've never had an explanation why. Okay, I 100%, you know, make peace with the fact that when you don't perform or – um, you know, you're some some other time you're gonna have a bad game, but yeah. Um, a week after that, I read or there was an article from the coach or from the you know from the media saying that I don't have the technical ability to play test match rugby, and I think that was after forty something caps. Um, and that that hurt a lot, you know that that um, stings. It's it's tough because. By all means, I don't. I never. I, I. I don't mind being dropped, and and it would make me want to work harder. But 
if I have to read in the media that I'm not good enough, if someone can't tell me themselves, then it's hard to respect that, you know. So that 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 was obviously quite a tough one for me to take because um, I would rather want someone to just sit me down and tell rather you. just give me the truth and yeah. I can move on from that. And and that's one of those things that I kind of used as as fuel, you know. It was frustrating and I I was angry at a stage and um but I I just had to put it behind me and kind of use it as as fuel and and I just said you know what I'll um I'll just continue on this journey and and push even harder and see what happens yeah I love this because it's almost like you're reading my mind my next question that I've literally written down in this little notepad is what fuels you I want to know what like everybody has like a why everybody has like something that starts their fire gets them out of bed in the morning you know, insight. Mine is like this chip on my shoulder. Myself talks like, yeah. "You're gonna, you're gonna get found out today. You're not good enough." And it's not particularly healthy. And not everybody's like that. But in Francois Hogarth's world, you know, are you motivated by the materialistic things? Which I'm, I know you're not, but it, it, that could be an example of what people are motivated by. Are you motivated by um, the want to be the best in the planet? You know, what is it that gets you out of bed? before everybody else and has you in the club after everybody else? I'm, it's a funny thing. I've, I've every, I don't really know how to explain it. Every morning I wake up, I've got a burning desire to be super successful. And, and it's not only with necessarily with the rugby, it's anything I try or I, I do or try and do, I want to be super successful and, and, with the rugby is I I want to if I can inspire people or help people get better, I'm happy. If I can, you know, just there's a funny, not a funny story, but when I was at the Bulls, um, this little kid asked myself Mornay to go to the hospital because we were his heroes, and he was basically on his deathbed. He had mm. uh, I don't know ten something surgeries and he basically just asked, you know, if he could see us and, you know, that would make his life and his parents came to Loftus to see us and this, and we went to the hospital and, you know, he didn't want to listen to his parents. The only way you would get better is if you, he would, you know, with a lot of pain, get out of bed and try and, you know, start walking to get his body moving. Um, and with us there, we, we, you know, joked around and said, we're going to get him to Loftus and on the field and all these things. And he started slowly started walking. For me, it was, what, 30 minutes out of my day, out of, out of myself and Mona's day. But that literally changed his life. And for me, that's what it's kind of about. Um, you know, there's always people that says, oh, it's about the cars and the money and the this and the, that. That that doesn't really, that doesn't matter to me. It's things like that that will always stick to me. If, if I can help someone or inspire someone or make someone's day better and it's um, whether it's like 30 minutes out of my day, but it literally changed that, that little guy's life. And he came to Loftus, he was much better and, and healed. But for me, it's a burning desire to be super successful. And like I say, if I don't, and you know, it's tough, you know what it feels like when your body, you get out of bed, your body does not want to move. You feel like you've been hit by a truck literally yeah, yeah it's tough to you know you can't just say oh i don't feel like it today we have to be there we have to pitch up and you have to give it your all mm -hmm. i inside my mind if i want to stop before a certain exercise or cut it short something in my mind tells me you're cheating yourself you 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 can't do this i don't know why i, I don't have the answer for that but there's something that says you can't, you have to, you have to do this because not only am I cheating myself when I go out on the field and I didn't do that, that might be the difference between me not mm -hmm. being able to do something and letting the team, not myself down, but the team. And that I don't like, I can't live with that. I don't like to live with that. And it's, I always see it as, let's say for instance, my diet and it's it's not to do with anyone else but myself. I I really enjoy being healthy, and I think well, it's not necessary. I'm not always healthy. I eat pizza and I eat. I'm gonna eat a massive Sanger sandwich <laughs> soon. <laughs> it's all about that balance. I gave you that fiver. 
<laughs> but it, I, I just see it as if I, if I can eat better, I can be better conditioned, I can train better, I can play better, I can, at the end of the day, you know, have a better market value and kind of extend my career, have a, you know, get a better offer at the end of the day and, and kind of extend my career. So for me, it's kind of like a little bit of a knock-on effect. I don't know if I've gone off the point a bit, but... No, no, no. Yeah, it's it's basically being that burning desire to be super successful and, and trying to inspire the kids because I know there's a lot of youngsters who who looks up, even though you don't always know it, you know, there's a lot of youngsters that look up to you and, and, and you know, you get the odd message and, and you know, the, the letters, you know, at, at the Warriors and, and mm-hmm. you know, the photos so, afterwards. And, and it makes you happy, you know, it, that really, it, 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 you get that warm, fuzzy feeling when you do actually inspire someone. It's weird. You always seem to have way more letters than I do, and I don't really understand why. Because I'm gonna have to start sending letters. I'm gonna have to start sending letters letters into myself, bro. No, that's letters from the bank. That's famous. All those things. Oh, you just phoned it all from your house. Okay, cool. That that makes me feel better. Yeah, still waiting for someone just for me to sign an ugly mugshot of myself. Anyway, I'm only joking. Um. Yeah, no, I think it gives a so obviously I I know you and I and I and I feel and I sense that and I get energy from that every day. But it's great for people to get an insight into what makes you tick because in this world, um there's the access isn't there. You know, we don't have the the beauty of like an NFL documentary mm. style thing where people get to really know rugby characters. It's almost like yeah. um people want you to be yourself, but then they don't really want you to be yourself. They want you to be yeah. what they want you to be. But I think it yeah. gives a great insight into what makes you tick and what gets you out of bed. And I think that would be really useful for people. If we look to um, one of the biggest moments in your career, Fran, I must've been that Olympic game games, you know, oh. that, that experience of being away and being able to tell your kids or your grandkids um, that you played in the Olympic games in Rio in 2016 for the, for the blitz box, you know, what a couple of questions, let's just start quickly with um, what sort of dried you into, into the sevens environment, the, the, the Olympic dream. So I have actually got a lot of respect for, you know, for the sevens players, yeah. nothing to do with me going to play sevens those guys work extremely extremely hard yeah um it's a completely different ball game um i remember the first time i'll tell you now how i got into playing playing sevens i've always wanted to play it because you know you you watch on tv oh it's a lot of space it's amazing you do this and this and this <laughs> <laughs> my friend you don't know what tired feels like <laughs> i don't want to can the you first... imagine me me beefy and sharky <sighs> playing sevens it would be a car crash oh uh, the first time i actually i went you know you know joined the team and and we had a training session it was like let's say 45 minute fitness and agility type session and then we had a 50 minute wrestling session but i'm not <laughs> talking um <laughs> So the coach Neil Powell was actually a province. He was a provincial wrestler. I'm not talking uh, pummeling or this or that. It's full go, and that was most probably the closest I've ever been to getting sick. Mm. Uh, yeah, to to throwing up in 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 a session, and the guys had a go at each other, not in a way where it wasn't you know, there was any animosity. It was funny enough. It was super aggressive, but they try and get each other better. There was this big brotherhood um, culture. And there was, the thing is, there's no, there's a team manager, but there's no kitman. There's no people who carries the coolers around. We had to carry the coolers to every training session. We had to carry all the equipment. So it's, it's, it was a very, very, humbling experience going there and seeing how hard these guys work and how, how talented they are. Um, someone like Sicil Africa is, I mean, he is, a, in all respect, he's a tiny rugby player, but the tackles and the way that guy plays the game is all hard. And I've mm. only got massive respect for these guys. So how I got into playing sevens was... Um, I 
played the local competition. I actually signed a deal in Japan um, in 2016, and I played Curry Cup in South Africa to try and get into the World Cup 2015. Mm. And I had to play nine to try and get into to the World Cup. And um, I wasn't going to play um, sevens, but because I signed a Japanese deal, I didn't know that playing a local competition clashes with you know the regulations of the Japanese deal, and my deal fell fell through. And obviously, then you know they said, um, "Do I want to play? You know the tournaments. We can't guarantee that you're going to go to um, Rio, but if you do well, you you will definitely make. You know, if you do well, you'll make the team. And you know, obviously, um, thankfully, you know, I, I obviously put put work in, and and we we managed to go to the to the Olympics and oh yeah what a crazy experience yeah what's it like banting around the like the Olympic village and like the Olympic cer- the opening ceremony and then obviously moving on to that bronze medal like the whole thing must feel like a daydream oh it's crazy the Olympic village is like a city on its own because there's so <laughs> many athletes from so many the, the craziest thing of it all is there's a McDonald's in the village <laughs> And and you would think, okay, some people might think, oh, well, that's normal. You must understand that it's the world's best athletes competing, yeah. you know, at the big one, I would say the biggest, you know, sporting biggest event, sporting in, the event in the world, in the planet. Like, and, and these people work for four years to get to there, to get to the village. And then they put a McDonald's in it where you can undo all your hard work. I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around that, but, you know, the cues never ending but it was an amazing experience you know you you saw you know athletes from all over the world wrestlers um just it was it's crazy to you know the gym i think we you know you're in the gym with there was people rowers sitting there for hour and a half two hours sitting at a steady pace but if i did it for 10 seconds i would just be done but yeah it was it, it was a crazy crazy experience obviously in rio you know it was tough because a lot of the the venues and some of the stadiums wasn't finished built because i i don't know why there was a lot of there was a lot of athletes that went to rio before the olympic games that got robbed um and didn't have such a great experience but yeah. all in all for me that was incredible so another point I didn't play as many of the games. So Siabelos and Atla played and then he mm-hmm. got injured. Yeah. So we obviously played up until, okay, let, let me tell you this. So playing against England um, in, the, uh, what was it, semi-final? Yeah, semi-final. And I was obviously playing sweeper and uh, we asked, uh, one point or a few points behind uh, the Hooters already gone. Who must throw the ball into the lineup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to get to you about this because every time I'm overthrowing darts, you're always chirping at me like, nah, oh. yeah, "Have you done it in an Olympic semi-final?" And I'm like, "No." Do you want to? You can throw if you want to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trust me, I didn't want to do that. Hand it was shaking. the biggest. It was the biggest. Uh, I knew that if I messed this up. You know, there's a lot riding on. There's potentially a gold medal riding on to this. Luckily, they just went up on the front, and it was just a, a you know, simple, <laughs> quick and easy. You not as not as easy as everybody I, thinks, man. Is it not no, as easy? I know. I know. I I got a lot of respect for you, obviously, doing that so well. But yeah, all in all, um, so yeah, carrying on from Siabello, and he obviously got injured towards the end of the the tournament. He didn't play against you know a fair few teams at the end, and. They said, so we obviously got the bronze medal and they said, I said, look, I don't want to, I want him to go in, in my place because he's played most of the tournament. I want him to go up and, and receive the medal. So they wow. said, no, you, you, the team that's finished, those people must go up. So I, I got my medal and I just felt uh, it's not right for me to keep this. And I gave my medal to him because I, I was just like, it, it just didn't feel right. and. They actually sent me another medal a wow. few a month or so afterwards, which was. But you didn't know I did, you'd I, get it. No, no, it wasn't important for me. I, for me, it was just more about 
he deserved it a lot more than what I did because yeah. he's such an incredible player and he, he contri- contributed so much to the setup and the whole tournament. And, and you must remember all the, you know, this, these tournaments leading up to, to Rio and, and, and to that stage was the amount of work I went to that is, is crazy. So yeah, I just felt that he deserved it a lot more than me, you know? What an amazing gesture because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And obviously you wouldn't have known with any, any uh, foresight that you would have ended up getting one, but an amazing gesture Frana, from, from a good bloke. And don't ask me to Cheers, say that again, man. because uh, I'll deny I said it, even though it's on <laughs> audio. Um, let's uh, let's skip to the next stage, because very quickly after that, you join us at Worcester. And um, I think there'll be loads of Worcester fans who do listen to this pod who have just so enjoyed your your input and mm. the experience of having to wa- and being able to watch you at Six Ways. And, you know, some of the tries that you scored, the, the Bristol try stands out in my mind and and there's loads and loads of others but how did the move to Worcester come about um you know when you get to a club there's a certain stage in your career where you kind of have to move on I was always going to go overseas or or yeah kind of wanting to make the move to playing overseas and obviously my agent said look there's an opportunity to go for two or three months and I said, why not? I'm I'm always up for a challenge. And and you know, I was I was really keen to do it. And I've always said that I couldn't have asked and I couldn't have asked for a better start for you know at an overseas club or an overseas career anywhere else. I mean, it was it's not because I'm not saying it as me, but it was just everything, you know, just rolled out perfectly. It was you know, from, you know, like you say, the Bristol games, obviously there's a lot of, you know, uh, disappointing losses and, and things. Yeah, that's the game. Like, you know, that's that's just how it happens. But the good and, and the special memories are, you know, outweigh the, the bad ones, you know, so much more. And and like I say, same as with the Springboks, there's a lot of memories that I will obviously, you know, you know keep close to my heart and that I will remember yeah. forever. Yeah, it's important to cherish those. I think one of the interesting contrasts for me, uh, following on from your move from South Africa to England, was like culturally how different they were and uh, how it can take time to settle into cultures. And I remember uh, when you first came over and Dean Ryan, like I've called you Frana, Frana the whole way through this conversation, right? And he called you Franny for the first one of the first beatings. And I remember turning around and being like, it's a nickname, that's what it is. He's now Franny. And you being like, no, 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 no. My name's Francois. You'll call me, call me Francois. Uh, who's, uh, my name's not Franny. And I was like, okay, right. This is going to take a little bit of time. So <laughs> the, where, where you are now compared to, like, don't get me wrong. You're nowhere near as bad as GJ was when he first met over, right? <laughs> but, but I think the important thing for people to understand is culturally, it's very different. You know, we give yeah. each other a, a lot of banter and we chirp. Yeah. We, yeah. have, we have fun with each other whereas the African or the South African um, it's a lot more conservative it's a lot conserv- more conservative and it's quite safe and it's quite nice so when you moved over initially what sort of shock was it and how have you grown to, to enjoy so it one of the, the and it's with all, all respect that one of the first team talks um, that I sat in that I came here with <laughs> Dean Ryan um, he, he was fuming obviously and he he was non he was swearing and non-stop swearing and i was never used to that obviously i was used to swearing but as like coaches in south africa never like you know franz ludic at the bulls never used to if he swore he would say sorry excuse me you know and when i got here i was like oh wow this is and I, I, not in a in a funny or i'm not trying to say it in a disrespectful way it's it was obviously like i, I found it quite funny because yeah. it was really serious but i found it quite funny in a way it was like wow but i i i love to ex- I, I in saying that i love experiencing um and you know experience this culture and, and experience and and um you know just buying into it for me it was obviously you know like you say this like our mate Becky, we always give each other a lot of <laughs> uh, Ash Beck, Ashley Beck. Yeah, yeah. We always give give each other 
um, you know, a lot of trouble. And in saying that, with him giving me so much trouble actually lifts me up when I don't always feel well. It's 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 a funny thing. But yes. yeah, for me it it it's I love the culture and 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 you know, getting used to everything and and um you know, kind of buying into it. I'm never a guy that stands up in front of people and, and talks and stuff like that, but yeah, I, I thoroughly do enjoy you know the culture and, and in buying into it, you know. Yeah, and I think you have, and I think your development as someone who will not like I'll walk in the change room and you'll just be like, you'll just like chirp at me, and I'm like, fucking hell, Flanner's come, <laughs> he's come a long way. I'm like a tear in my eye <laughs> from, what, I, from yeah. what it used to be. From what it used to be, it was all. It, it, but it, I, like I said, it, it's just a cultural thing, and I just love to see the development. And I think through your time at Worcester, you know, so many amazing matches like you described, so many moments that you'll cherish, you know. The Worcester fans um, recently will have found out that you're leaving the club, um, unfortunately. So, I mean, it's always a difficult one to get into in in, in many mm. specifics. But your your move away from the club will will be one that I'm sure, in some ways, will disappoint you. Yeah, hundred percent. I I I genuinely didn't think it was gonna happen like like this. I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, you got to kind of make peace with it. It is what it is. That's rugby. Um, but hundred percent disappointed. Um, I never thought I, like I said, I didn't think it was going to happen like this or this soon, but, um, look, I've had an absolute unbelievable time, you know, with you boys and, and obviously, you know, the rest of the season and so on. And I'm still, you know, living just outside. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm, doesn't matter whether I'm moving on or not. I'll always give hundred, 110%. You know, in in any game that I play or training or whatever, but I'm still outside Worcester, and I will support Sangers. Do not worry about that. <laughs> You'd better. <laughs> we need everybody. Yo, we, can, we need everybody. We can count the, on. The amount of time I've said Sangers in this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I owe you fifty no, quid now. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I'm still outside Worcester. And I'm 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 just down the road. So it's obviously a sad one um, because I've I've not been to many clubs in my life. I think I've been to three clubs in my life. Over yeah. what thirteen years professional, so um, it's always a tough one to take, you know. And I think it it will hit me when you know that time comes that I've got to move on, you know. But I I don't really want to think about that right now. More so, you know, when that time comes because I, I I'm I'm enjoying you know playing with you guys and 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 being you know at the club and it's 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 I rather leave that time for when it comes, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's totally understandable. I think um, if you had the opportunity now, which you do, to say a couple of words to any of the Worcester fans who've supported you and cheered on you and sent you messages, what would you say? Oh, just, you know, it's 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 always hard to kind of put into words what, you know, what people and, and the supporters mean to you. I think a lot of the, the fans and, and supporters feel like we don't always hear them and we don't always acknowledge them in the crowd. but you know, especially throughout COVID, and I'm sure you can agree with me, is you realize how much they really meant and how, how much they really mean to us. Even having a thousand or two thousand people in the stands means so much. And and you know, obviously having the opportunity to play in front of the crowd again this this weekend, you know, is is gonna be really exciting. But yeah, just from me, um, I think the Worcester support has been massively, massively um, kind to me and and kind of accepted me as as a player and and made me feel really really welcome and and um, they they've been amazing to me I I, I think um, I couldn't have asked for for any better support and um, you know to feel any more welcome at the club I, you know I, I've I've made feel felt like I'm I'm you know one of the homegrown boys so. Yeah, just for me. Thank you, thank you so so much. And and uh, this the, the last five five years will definitely stay with me me forever. So thanks. Awesome. Well spoken, Frana. Well spoken, my boy. So we look at the next stage. Um, as we look to round up our conversation and let you go and get your dinner, I think the exciting next stage for you is that you're moving up. Um, I think it's the M42 or M5. I don't know. Someone's going to correct me for my horrific knowledge of heading north from here to Coventry slash Leamington, but you're heading up the motorway to to Wasps, which is an exciting opportunity for you. Um, 
now that the contracts are signed, it's out in the media, is this something that you're really looking forward to getting your, your teeth sunk into after? You don't need to say that you've got three games at Worcester. We all know that your investment's no, no, going to no. be 100%. But when you look to next season, a new environment, a new group of lads to get to know, um, a, a, a club that plays a really exciting brand of rugby, mm. which will will suit you, similar to the way Worcester play, but just... Um, yeah you know an opportunity to play with one of the best nines in the premiership and dan robson all these things must excite yeah. you 100 uh, percent. you've touched on it I, i'm someone who like to look one step ahead not you know kind of but obviously i have thought of thought of next season and so on obviously we've got a nice break coming up um just to regroup and recharge because it's been you know, with COVID and everything, it's been a long season and, and it's been mentally, it's been tough. You know, I, I don't think there's yeah. anyone who can say that it hasn't been tough on, on you know, on mentally on them. So a break will be good, but um, I'm excited. You know, change is, I, I guess change is always good and I'm, I'm excited. Like you said, they play a, a good brand of rugby, but if I can make, you know, any positive contribution to to the club and, 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 whether it's helping someone or, you know, even even if I play behind someone, I would want those guys to do well. But I'm looking to just enjoy, you know, the last, um, you know, the time that I've left in my career. I'm, I just literally just want to have fun. I want to enjoy it and I want to, you know, try and play some great rugby and, and contribute in a, in, in a positive way. Well, I'm sure the Wasps fans will be as fond of you as the Worcester were um, and are. And I think you'll you'll obviously always have a very warm welcome down the motorway. The only thing I'm thinking, though, is, you know, you go, <laughs> here it comes. Why, let's why, go, here it comes. Why, why are you laughing? I don't know, something's coming. <laughs> you do know me too well. I'm just thinking, you know, like, if you're going to be heading up and down that motorway, you're going to need something that's good miles per gallon. So if you need me yeah, to sort you out yeah. with that Kia Sportage, bro, I I got one for you. <laughs> Please. I'm you only need... looking for a car. My car sold. So listen, I'm currently listen, don't... Carless. Join me, join me for the for the humble Kia Sportage. I'll get you from A to B, low miles per ga- uh, good miles per gallon. And then you don't need to worry about these fancy cars anymore, bro. You're right. Let's talk details after this, please. <laughs> The fine detail. Fine it's been um it's been my pleasure. It really has. I think people will really enjoy hearing, hearing <laughs> from you as the person. Um I've had a lot of fun. We've had a chance to chat some proper rugby, proper experiences for your career. And I just want to say a huge thank you for your time. No, 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 not not at all. Thank you so much, Nala. Um, it's always great to chat to you. And I really do appreciate it. And I will come get how about tomorrow? Let's go get a Sanger's sandwich hey, tomorrow. Captain's run and we go. Yes, boy. I'm keen. Sounds but thank good. you so much. It, 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 it was fun. Thanks, boy. Legend, Frana.